Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks to you for drawing us here. Right now where we most need to be. For you created us for your glory. For your glory and so it is for our good to be worshiping you. It's what you made us for. Thank you for making that clear to us by showing us in your word the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so because of what Jesus has done, we can call on him through the Holy Spirit and find ourselves satisfied. Thank you, Lord, for your word on which we find our fill. And I pray that you use me this morning to preach the good news to your people. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will stir within the hearts of all the, those here to hear your word, to be fed, and so that all of us will lift up the eyes of our heart, seeing Jesus. In his glorious name we pray, amen. We continue our series in the Paul's letters to the Romans, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. If you don't have your Bibles, you can find it at the top of your sermon outline. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? For faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. May God bless this reading of his word. Let me ask you a question. When you have good news, when you have good stuff that you're sitting on, what is your natural impulse to do with it? You know, if there is no harm, if you are not harmed by the divulging of said good stuff, what is your natural inclination? And I think that you will find that our tendency is to share, our impulse is to tell everyone this good news. There's this awesome sale that's going on. This thing just came out, and it will make gardening so much easier. Um, just um, Ilshim Chu makes great chocolate chip cookies. So exploit that information however you will. So um, let's see. You've heard me talk about Honeycrisp apples and how these are the apples that define 
apples. In fact, get rid of all other apples because they just don't matter any longer. Honeycrisp apples. Buy them. You'll see. I'll expand that to oranges. Have you ever had a tangelo? Show of hands. Tangelo, also called miniolas. All right, about a third of you. All right. These are the, the oranges. These are the honeycrisp apples of the orange world. And navel oranges are the red delicious apples of the orange world. I will never voluntarily eat a navel orange again. These things, they look strange. You might have avoided them because they just look deformed. All right? It looks like there's a tumor on top of a tangelo. But they almost fall apart in your hands. That's how easily, easily peeled it is. And each one is just this burst of sweet juice. You have to close your lips, otherwise it will overflow out of your mouth. Now, I might be harming my own interest by telling you all this because there may be no more tangelos next time I go. But we share good news when we have it. Bill Melcher is always going on and on about how Marvin Melendez, Marvin, raise your hand. So, no, yeah, there we go, thank you. So, how he is a wonderful auto mechanic because, as John Yensko told me once, having a competent and trustworthy auto mechanic is like finding treasure, right? We know that, right? So, good job, Marvin. Our inclination, our need is to share good news. And we're going to see in today's message how that plays out in three points. On beautiful feet, the tragedy of unbelief, and here I am, send me. So at the beginning of this passage, all right, so Paul is still talking about just the gospel which has come through Jesus Christ and how it has been accepted by those that no one thought it was ever offered to and it was rejected by those who were closest to it, his brethren, the Jewish people, those descended from Israel. And so he goes on saying this interesting order of events, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless sent as it is written? And he quotes Isaiah here. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, Anytime you reverse order something, it makes it a little bit harder, I think, to understand. So let's just turn it around and see what the order actually is so that we're not walking backwards on this one. What happens is that someone has good news, and that person is sent, and that person preaches that good news so that others can hear. And when they hear that good news, then some are led by the Holy Spirit to believe and to call on the name of the Lord so they can do what Pastor John preached about last week, confessing the name of Jesus Christ and believing in their heart that Jesus is the Son of God. And that is how our God brings salvation to us. And we should all be so grateful for that series, that series of events. You ever watch that show Good Eats that shows how awesome like candies from our childhood are made, this is the how it's made that you want to know. And all of us are affected by it. In my own life, let's see, so Christianity came to an unlikely peninsula just about 100 or maybe 110 years ago. So, and by, who are the people? So they were people who had the gospel, 
and Americans and some Scottish people being sent out to go and preach the gospel. And let me tell you, this was not a fun place to go. White people were best, it was best to stay away from Korea. We liked killing us white people. I mean, not now. You can go to Korea. I mean, you'll be treated better than I am. But back then, it was bad. And they would go and preach and die. And then more would go with the good news and preach. And those that survived would continue to preach, and people would hear. People like my great-grandfather, the first in my line, to call on Jesus Christ and be saved. They would believe, and then through the Spirit, call. And all of us have that story. I encourage you, track down and discover that story because it matters. Now, the thing is, and that I just kind of made it about the people who were preaching, the ones who had the good news, it sounds like a missionary retelling of this. But Isaiah, when he wrote about this, wasn't writing about future gospel missionaries, was he? He was writing about people that God had sent out to Israel to prophesy and to say the good news. Though you are in captivity, though you are exiled, you will not always be this way. And God himself will come and rescue you and redeem for himself a people out of captivity. And that, that, Isaiah was just uh, prophesying and just saying right along, yeah, person who says that kind of news, beautiful feet, because that's beautiful news. But, and I included this in your first outline point, if you read just a little further, just a few verses after that, he was despised and rejected by men, the guy whose feet are beautiful, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Well, who does that sound like, brothers and sisters? In hindsight, with the cross behind us, who does that sound like? And we see that Isaiah was prophesying, and Paul is simply looking back to Jesus Christ. It is his feet who are beautiful because he doesn't just bring the good news. He is the good news. He, the word of God, bringing the word of God. And so you see the prime place that scripture takes in bringing the gospel to people. I encourage you not to think that it's just your good deeds and your niceness that are the most effective tools in bringing others to Christ. It is the Bible. Know it, love it, be clear on it. And so Paul, you see that he is just continuing His thesis, which he set forth in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And so once again, how beautiful are the feet of Jesus, who descended from heaven, taking on our form, that the good news, the gospel would be preached and lived out in his life so that we, the unlikely, would hear it and believe and call on his name. But then this just brings out just the even bigger tragedy it is of unbelief. Second point. See, Paul goes on to say, but not, have all, not all have obeyed the gospel. 
And do you see what he's doing here? Look at how many quotes there are, how many quotations there are in this passage. Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. So he is talking to his brethren, all right, those of Jewish faith, and he is making the argument, you have disobeyed God's very words, and he uses the words they hold as God's words to show them that truth. You have disobeyed the gospel. Who has believed what he has heard from us? So you see that there's, there was a component missing. They had it, and they heard it. They got to hear it when no one else in the world got to hear it. But they did not have faith. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, and Pastor John preached this too from chapter 9, verse 32, didn't he? Why? Why is it that they did not believe? Why is it that they don't have this salvation? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. See, these passages right here that Paul is quoting uh, from, like verse 18, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. That's actually from Psalm 19, which is talking about how God has created all things and all creation sings that it is he who did it. It's obvious to anyone with eyes. And Paul uses that to say it is so obvious that it is Christ whom all of this was about. Believe in him. But Christ is a stumbling stone to those who want to hold on to something else, to anything else, in particular to their works, all right, to their religious observance. And so to that, what did Jesus have to say? He said lots of things and lots of parables about the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is like this. And he talks about banquets and how banquets represent those who are in, those who have salvation because they are in him. And those who are outside are those who are weeping and gnashing of teeth outside of life with him. And so in Luke chapter 14, verse 16, 16 I wrote, this is in the bulletin or, or outline. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of, for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Now I'm not going to say all these excuses or read it all out, but one guy bought a field, said I'm busy. Another guy said I bought oxen and so I'm busy. Another guy says I got married and so I'm busy. I have no idea what that guy was trying to, you know, just say, but married, busy. So And so the servant came and reported these things to the master, verse 21. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my people may be, my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And what Jesus is saying is that all those people who were first invited, who you thought would have come and didn't, Paul is saying, that, and Jesus is saying, that it's all these people who had 
the word of God from the Old Testament, the Israelite people, then later the Jewish people. But they were the ones who rejected Jesus, and so Jesus became a stumbling stone for them. And brothers and sisters, if there was some other way, wouldn't Paul know about it? Wouldn't he have reason not to be this anguished with ceasing sorrow, unceasing sorrow, like in chapter 9? There is no other name under heaven by which men are saved. And so then the gospel comes to the unlikely. And we're not even like the blind, crippled, and lame, and poor. I think we're the people on the highways and like just hobos and hedges. Like, how bad does your life have to be that you're homeless under a hedge? All right? And we, that's us. And Jesus Christ, or Paul continues to quote Deuteronomy, all right, that I will make them jealous. So God is saying to his people that they rejected me, and so I am jealous of that. So I will make them jealous of me, and I will call a foolish nation. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. You ever hear your name called out and say, woohoo, you know, like, hey, can I, all the, I don't know, Latinos in the house, and woo, you know, just, so here it's like, all the fools in the house, yeah! That's us, though, and we are so happy that we are the ones called, grafted in the new Israel. But is there more for us here than just the hearts we should have for Jewish people? Is this passage just for Mitch Glazer and Chosen People Ministries, you know, the guy who came a couple months ago, or Stanley uh, uh, Mel- Telchin, that book that I waved that everyone took so I didn't get a copy last week? You know, just, is it just for them, or is, all, is it also for us? And it is absolutely also for us, because the tragedy was unbelief. Meaning belief not in Jesus Christ, in something else, in someone else, in your works, in your standards. And we can do this. As Christians, we can fall into this trap, and Jesus becomes a stumbling block for us. Right? In fact, so just because someone tells you that they're a Christian, don't take them at their word for it. I know that's usually our impulse. It's like, all right, so I know this guy's not going to rob me. Right? No. I don't trust anyone who tells me they're a Christian. I vet them, all right? So I sit down and I say, hey, you're a brother, you're a sister in Christ? That's awesome. Isn't the salvation that we have in the free grace of Jesus Christ mind-blowing? That we don't trust anything that we do but only what Jesus Christ has done because all that we bring to the table is sin and crap, And isn't the heaven that we have, that we get to be with Jesus forever, going to be awesome? What are you most looking forward to about heaven? What are you most grateful to Jesus Christ for? And then see what their answer is. And if it's not Jesus, if they're not most looking forward to Jesus, then treat them like a non-Christian. Invite them to our church. All right? Because they're trusting in what? Maybe coming to church. I come to church because if I don't come, then maybe something bad will happen to, to me during the week, and God will use that to bring me back to church, all right? Or I'm good with our things, you know, just with my uh, treating other people because, you know, just, that's just the way that I'm going to get to heaven. And maybe they're not thinking it that obviously, but that's the temptation that we all have. This isn't just a problem that's outside here. This is also inside here because it's in our hearts. We're always trying to make a story that makes us look better 
even knowing that it makes Jesus Christ look less. We are not immune to what happened to Israel, but the antidote is calling on the name of Jesus. It's not in anything of ourselves, but crying out with the holy power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, I only have freedom in you and because of you. I only have salvation by your grace. Let me lean not on my own understanding, but entirely on you, who you are and what you have done. And because we are the people that can say that, who believe that, we are at the third point of our message. We can say, here I am, send me. See, there's this really interesting thing that Paul did as he quoted Isaiah 65 here. He quoted two lines at the beginning of a passage, and then the two lines immediately after a sentence. And the only reason that I can find for him having done that is that he either knew that people knew what the middle sentence was, or he expected us to go back and look. All right? So after the first part, which Paul quoted, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. He says, "Uh, here I am, here I am. He is the God who from the beginning has called to his people, here I am. Preaching relationship with him, preaching salvation by faith. He from the beginning is the one who has preached and called us to hear and to believe and to call on him. And he invites us to take up that call. The Lausanne Congress, the creed that we read, it was terrific, wasn't it? In fact, from the second, the second slide, it was, in the church's mission of sacrificial service, evangelism is primary. Not feeding the hungry, taking care of the poor and clothing them. All those things are good things, and those are things that our church is involved in. But our primary task is to bring the gospel to the lost. Because what need trumps that? In fact, meet other needs so that you can meet that need. World evangelization requires the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. And the church is at the very center of God's cosmic purpose and is his appointed means of spreading the gospel. Do you know where they got that from? From 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made him, God for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God to be his ambassadors. Have you ever made, tried making an appeal for someone else to like talk in their voice with their passion for something? Abby, yesterday morning, like we had to, I'd bring her to swim practice. Ethan was still sleeping. And then when I dropped her off, she said something really sweet. She said, oh, hug Ethan and tell him I say good morning. Completely forgot to do it when I got home. But if I had done it correctly, 
I would have gotten into bed and I would just hug the crap out of him. I would slobbered wet kisses on him and I would have said, good morning from Abby. I don't know if you would have understood it, but that would be making that appeal, communicating her heart for her. And we have the God who says, here I am. What appeal is he calling on us to make? And with what heart is he calling on us to make it with? We are Christ's ambassadors, his ecclesia, right? The called out ones. I like that the Spanish word iglesia is the closest to the Greek for church, all right? The word church comes from the Scottish word kirk. I have no idea where that one comes from, but ecclesia is in the Bible, all right? So Spanish people, no, woohoo, all right. So his, we are Christ's ambassadors, his called out ones. You know, there, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman sings, That we are his hands and feet until Jesus comes. That Jesus Christ, that means that Jesus Christ has no feet on earth except for ours. Because his feet are under his throne in heaven. And he calls us to go forth with his good news. To preach the good news to the lost that they might hear and believe and call on his holy name. Now, I'm going to do something that no preacher loves doing, no pastor loves doing, and I'm going to go into a little bit of a rebuke mode. If that's the main mission of our church, how good are we at it? How many of you have invited unchurched people to come to our church? Now, I'm not saying that, that none of you do. In fact, I'm very glad that there are those among you. I know Sue Hafey, you know, just uh, brought Yvonne Purcell recently, and, so just, and the list goes on and on. But I'm going to say that when we look at the numbers that we bring in week after week, we're low on visitors, meaning that we're low on people being brought by their friends, probably the most organic way of being invited, right? That's what the Operation Andrew list inviting your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers to come to our church. Now, don't feel bad. I think we're better than the average. The national average is only 2% of church people invite unchurched people to their worship. So we're doing better than that. But right now, I think Redeemer's website is responsible for sending us more visitors than we are for bringing people ourselves. And that's not even believers, right? That's other believers looking and moving out of Manhattan and having to find a church out here. So unchurched people are not going to get here by accident. And they're not going to come by mail bombing or just, uh, or just because Caleb, we finally have a Christian music radio station on the air in New York. The unchurched will come when the church is the church. See, C.S. Lewis says it this way. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ. In fact, he goes on to say that any church and any preacher that isn't doing that, get rid of them and make way for the places that are doing that. I thank God that we are going out and sending out to the lost. And we have practical thoughts on those things too. This coming week of uh, the week of prayer, 
All right, so Tuesday night especially is the time that we're going to pray for evangelization, just in our world, in our local community, and in the world. So come out to Tuesday night, all right? And we have evangelism training. In fact, our church sent four people to Atlanta for some evangelism training. And do you remember Christianity Explored and Two Ways to Live, things that we have also done to equip you for that? Tracts. Some of you are great tract people. Kevin Hafey always carries a tract around. If you know someone that you want to give a tract to, go take his, all right? So... And the Operation Andrew, like we said before, but, and uh, as we talk about who has beautiful feet, because now Jesus Christ is translating his beautiful feet into ours. And if you ever needed a reason to think about your feet as beautiful, this is it. But today, just for the last few minutes, I want to focus, a practical focus on prayer. Because our prayer says a lot about what priority this is in our lives. In fact, Randy Pope, who's a, just John's friend and pastor down in Atlanta, just was going to his mentor asking, saying, I evangelize and share the gospel so often, but I rarely see people coming to Christ. What's up with that? And the mentor quizzed him on what he's saying, how he's saying it, when he's saying it, all those things. And Randy said all the right answers. And so his mentor goes, well, Randy, are you praying with regularity? and passion. And Randy goes, well, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, what does passion look like? I don't like go, ah, praying, you know, just like loud all the time or anything, but what does that look like? And what that praying with passion looks like is it means taking on that heart for others, the heart that Jesus has for others. In fact, our church recently did this prayer for the sake of others really well and is doing it really well right now with the people that John mentioned during his prayer. We pray for Aaron Dunlap. We pray for Mike Louie, Bob Young, Carrie Wachter, Marlene Rubino, all right? Because cancer sucks. Can't wait to kick that one. So anyway, but, you know, we pray. And when that happened, you know, just uh, for, I mean, over about a year ago, just all those things, just cases started popping up. We started praying. I started praying. And I started praying kind of regularly at first. And then it got kind of hard, because it's kind of hard to pray for something that long, you know, especially when you don't know if things are changing or whatever else. But then it got easy once I started thinking, well, what would these people wish for if they could ask me to pray right now? And then I entered into their hearts, and then I didn't just start praying for them. I started loving them more. I mean, Aaron and I don't even like each other that much. But that year of praying for her, I just grew to love her like I never have in our 18-year history. No, I just glared at you right there. <laughs> so, you know, just, and we grow in prayer when we pray for others. Now, the thing is, is that we're, we have an easy in on that one because we, too, value our lives. We, too, value our health. So that's something that we understand, but is a reason that the church does not go out and see and experience people coming to faith in Jesus Christ because then we don't value what we have that we're trying to give. You see, with Marvin doing your car, you know the cost and the bad cost of going to a bad mechanic, a thief of a mechanic. You know what the cost is, and then you know what the value is, having a car that runs, Consider the cost of your salvation. Jesus Christ 
and his body broken and his blood shed. And then consider the value that because of him and that great salvation, you get to be with Jesus now and for all eternity. And when you value that, then you can passionately start praying for others because that's not something. It's not like a supply of oranges that's going to disappear on you. In fact, you get more of Jesus the more you share of him. Maybe we're not seeing many come to faith because we don't, as James chapter 4, verse 2 says. You do not have because you do not ask. Brothers and sisters, will you join me, Pastor John, the elders of our church, those who already have bought into this by praying for the lost. In fact, I, I did something to help you out. At the bottom of the back page of your sermon outline, I did a dotted line thing. So my way of saying, like, just fold it and then, like, you know, just, and then tear. And then fill in the bottom with names that you want to pray for and you want to learn to grow in passion for praying for. And stick it in your Bible or stick it on your refrigerator, whichever you'll look at more. Some of you will be the fridge, some of you will be the Bible. And take that and pray. This is my prayer. I pray that it will become your prayer so that you will love these people as you pray to God and you will grow in love for them as you continue to pray. So then... All the tools that we give you, like tracts and training and dialogue and videos and books, all of those things will become useful tools for you because your heart is already inclined to do this. And again, this isn't about guilting you into anything. Because what's the, what's the goal or what's the, what's the reason that we do this? It's because of the joy that we have in our salvation. I'm just asking you to be happier. To be happy in the Lord and want to share that with others. And you will build that up as you pray. So that you can be, you can, Charles Spurgeon's words can be your words. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. So I'm going to close by praying this prayer that I have written out so that you can hear it once. Let us pray. Great Father in heaven, you alone are worthy of our praise and trust. You have shown your plan to call a people for yourself out of sinners who only deserve your wrath. We are confident of your plan because you sent your son to take our sins on the cross and to give us his righteousness. Jesus, we want your kingdom to come alive in the hearts of others, especially as we see the great salvation you have given to me. Help us to be more and more grateful for your love and what you have done, and give us your passion for the lost. Help us to pray daily for those who do not have faith and life in you, especially the names written below. 
and use us to bring your good news to them. Holy Spirit, we know that it is you who regenerates hearts, and so the result is not up to us. But we pray that you will use us to be Christ's ambassadors, calling others to be reconciled to God. We can do nothing without you, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We pray for your strength for this wonderful mission. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. Everyone, please rise and let us sing this song of hearing and answering His great call for His great kingdom work.